I will just think about it. So thank you for reminding us to think about it. We're going to think about a lot more today because we're talking about the all-powerful Jesus. Oh, yes, the kids, you're dismissed. They're waiting for you. Kids, you're dismissed. Turning your Bibles to Matthew 8, if you will. That's where we were last week. That's where we'll be next week. Matthew 8. And we'll get to our text in just a second. Um, I really appreciate the music today, guys. Thank you so much. Um, we're talking about the all-powerful Jesus. So let me give you a little recap. Um, but first, I want to start with a verse. You know it well. Philippians 2, 9 through 10. Philippians 2, 9 and 10, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The name of Jesus, that all-powerful Jesus. So last week, we talked about misusing the name of Jesus misrepresenting Christ in our lives is basically what it boiled down to. Misrepresenting Christ in our lives. Whether we be taking his name in vain in everyday language, like I told you, we've heard people say Jesus and Jesus Christ. You hear it out in public, you hear it on TV, online. The name of Jesus is emptied of what it truly is. So the taking the name in vain is one thing, but also by swearing in his name, breaking a promise, breaking an oath. And even more, when we disobey his commands for us, when we profess love, right? When we profess love for Jesus, yet we do not do what he calls us to do. So we talked about identifying as a Christian but then acting contrary to Christian conduct in our speech and our actions and even our thoughts. So yes, folks, we can disrespect Jesus, our own Lord and Savior. We can bring dishonor to his name and we can bring dishonor to his character. The commandment in Exodus states, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And again, I said it last week, I have to say it again. He warns us against using his name as if it were disconnected from his person, his presence, and his power. You cannot disconnect his name from those things. When this happens, we are no longer attaching his majesty, his holiness, his glory, his power even. We're not attaching that to his name. We're no longer acknowledging his deity and everything that he has done and is doing for us. So we can take his name and we can empty it. We can make it void of any love, any reverence, any recognition, which he fully deserves to receive from us all, just like we've sang together this morning. Worshiping, singing praises to him. He deserves it all. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Folks, there is power in the name of Jesus, and there is power behind the name of Jesus. And today, 
Today, I would like for us to continue what we started last week in truly understanding our all-powerful Jesus. So if you're there, Matthew 8, I would like to read verses 23 through 27 with you this morning. Matthew 8, 23 through 27. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was great calm. There was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort, of, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? What sort of man indeed? Let's talk about the company here. When he got into the boat, talking about Jesus, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Now that's important. That is very important because that defines a Christian, a follower of Christ. And his disciples were doing just that, following him. And it's contrary to the passage right before. Now I know we're not studying that text, but I'm going to mention it. Right before this passage, a scribe comes up to the teacher and says, I will follow you wherever you go. And in verse 20, Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, this is what this means. This is what he's talking about. This, this, this scribe came up. He saw the crowds. Jesus was growing in popularity. There were crowds, and there were great miracles happening. He's like, I want to be a part of this. And Jesus is basically saying, following me it's not going to make you famous. Following me is not going to help you gain prestige. Following me is not going to get you rich, brother. In fact, it will be the opposite. You will continually be giving of yourself. Following me will not be easy. It will be a tough life. The disciples proved that. So Jesus wanted to let him know this isn't a trend. It's not a popularity contest. It's not a get-rich scheme. So following me, it's, a re, it's the real deal. And that's what he's saying. And another disciple came up to him and said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, this is in verse 22. He said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Meaning, guys, burials at this time, they could actually take up to a year. This is the process. It could take up to a year um, because... The oldest son's duty was to rebury the, phone, uh, the bones of his father. It was a Jewish thing. It was a Jewish practice at the time. But what Jesus is saying to this man is, commitment to me is just that. You commit to follow me. No excuses. Let those who are not interested in me, let those who are dead in sin take care of the dead. Your duty is to follow me. So it was sacrificed to show one's attachment to him. It was a high priority, a higher priority than that of honoring your parents in burial. See, obligation to God supersedes obligation to parents. And that's what Jesus was trying to explain. I tell you all this to set up what is about to happen. 
But you have to remember that verse. The disciples, they followed him. That's the company. So let's talk about the conflict. The disciples followed him into a storm. So there was a conflict here. A great storm arose. And the ship was covered. They followed Jesus into the boat, and the boat sailed right into a storm. So again, following Jesus is not easy, and it takes commitment. This is why I wanted to expound on the scribe and the other disciple who said they would follow him, because the disciples did. They followed him. That's very important. Now, this lake, also known as the Sea of Galilee, this lake, it's no small lake. It's 13 miles in length, seven and a half to eight miles at its widest part. It's, it's a good body of water. And with their trajectory, it would have been a long distance from the point A to point B where they were sailing. It would have been longer. And the storm hits. This storm hits. Now, this lake lies far below sea level. And around this lake, we have mountainous um, plateaus, if you will. And what happens with those winds is they come down. They become violent. They become very, very strong, and they come on suddenly. So when we talk about a storm here, we are talking about a great storm. This would have been a frightening situation. Again, this low body of water would bring these winds. Now, the unpredictability, of course, is stated because as they were sailing to their point, this storm came on. Now, here they are, smack dab in the middle of it. It's the water is swamping their boat, which, which means is the water is sweeping over the boat. Now, I got to tell you, I'm with the disciples here. I'm with the disciples. This would have been scary. This would have been actually very scary for me. Uh, I would have been panicking right along with them. Now, I actually hate to admit that to you, but it is true. And here's why. The conditions being described here that caused fear in professional fishermen, well, it would have easily gotten to me. Again, these are professional fishermen who have been in storms. Hey, who fished in the day, who have fished at night, they are terrified. I would have been too. But that's the conflict that's happening. So we have this company of men following Jesus. We have a great conflict. Well, let's talk about Christ for a second. Christ, they had to awaken Christ from sleep and ask him to help. Folks, Jesus was asleep in this great storm with the waters coming over, with the men in the boat just losing it. The Bible states, but he was asleep. And I kind of laugh at it because I wonder, was he sleeping in heavenly peace like the song Silent Night speaks of? And this is what got me, man. This is what got me so good this week. And all this is about all-powerful Jesus. This is just, it's leading up to it, folks. He was exhausted. He was absolutely exhausted. The humanity of Jesus is being displayed here. Pure exhaustion from his ministry and everything that he had done, everything that he had performed that day. So yes, he slept, but then they woke him. This company, 
that sailed into conflict, who have awakened Christ, but he brings calm. Christ calmed the sea. Now, he says, oh, ye of little faith, or oh, you of little faith. They watched Christ perform many, many wonders, but here they are still doubting. We see the Israelites do this in the Old Testament over and over and over. We do it over and over and over. Here they are doing it. And it's interesting because if we compare their faith to that of the centurion in verse 10 of this very chapter, you will find Jesus marveling at the centurion's faith. He stated this, look, Jesus, if you'll just say a word, my servant will be healed. And he marveled at this faith. Look at the comparison. There's a big difference. However, in this situation, Jesus would have been speaking to me too. Oh, Mark, you have little faith. Would he have been speaking to you? And it doesn't just have to be a scary storm. You know that's figurative. Of course he has spoken to us like that. The storm arose, they were terrified, and in their panic, they awoke Jesus who calmed the storm. He rose up and he rebuked the winds, he rebuked the sea. What is happening here? Think about this, church family. What is happening here? He was a man that was just sleeping a few seconds ago, and now he is controlling nature? This is what the disciples are experiencing firsthand. Let's talk about control. Even nature obeys Christ. So if Christ can control nature, why can't he help us in all things? Why do we limit the power of Jesus in our lives when he can control nature? So look at the most awe-inspiring words here said during this awesome event. And this is what is said between the sudden storm that arose. It arrives and it overtakes them, the storm. And when Jesus calms this very storm, what is said? What's this profound statement? Save us, Lord. We are perishing. This short little sentence, it speaks volumes and volumes and volumes. It's huge. Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Every believer has asked Jesus of this. Today, if you're a believer, you have asked Jesus for this. And guess what? Those who will come to believe will ask Jesus the same. Save us. Why? Because without Jesus, we are perishing. I have to explain to you why I have chosen this text to preach on the all-powerful Jesus. And I actually get pumped up thinking about it. Here you can see the dual nature of Christ. Yes, I know there are people out there that will fight you on this. Jesus was just a man. No, Jesus was just God. There's the dual nature of Christ. This man was sleeping from pure exhaustion pure exhaustion to fall asleep on this boat. Then you see this man rise up, God, God, he rebukes the wind and the sea. Fully man, fully God. I was moved by this, completely moved. Because I was reminded that God himself 
came down to us. He came down to us. He came down for us. Leaving the heavenly to come for me. Have you ever thought like this? Leaving the heavenly to come for you. In fact, let's look at the virgin birth so we can understand this a little bit more. We're we're going straight to the virgin birth. This is in Matthew 1. I'm going to read verses 18 through 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will what? He will save his people from their sins. All this took place to uh, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us in this boat, disciples. God is with us. John 1.14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In that boat, with the disciples during that storm, ladies and gentlemen, God with us. God, He dwells among us. Again, He came for us. Why? Let's truly begin to understand why this had to happen in this way, like the Bible verse said. Because it's going to make you want to sing praises to Jesus. It's going to want to make you study the Bible where you can formulate and write your own song so that you can sing to him. You may have wondrous works in your life that you want to convey and sing to him. Let's see this in Hebrews 2.14. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood... He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Folks, he partook of the same. What is that? Flesh and blood. He had to. He had to. There had to be a sacrifice. Blood had to be shed. And this is his humanity. This flesh is blood. This is is his humanity. This is him sleeping in that boat. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did uh, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point 
of death, even death on a cross. He was in the form of God, yet he also took the form of a servant. We have the dual nature of Christ. His humanity, his humanity was needed for him to die on the cross. Had to be this way. See, God is a just God. God is a just God. He cannot let sin go unpunished. Someone would have to pay. Folks, what is the consequence of sin? We know what it is. It's death. Separation from God. See, Jesus would be the perfect sacrifice to remove this punishment of death that you and I so deserved. We still deserve it. And that's the beauty behind our Lord and Savior Jesus. He is the perfect sacrifice. Galatians 4, 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. It could not be an animal. It could not be an animal like the offerings performed in the Old Testament. That was not going to cut it. That was not going to be what, what saved humanity. It could not be one of the angels. It could not be an angelic being. That wouldn't cut it either. It has to be a human. It would have to be a human because humans are born under the law and only a human could redeem other humans born under the very same law. So we are in trouble is what I'm trying to tell you. We're in trouble. And again, there had to be the shedding of blood. Hebrews 9.22, indeed under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. What are we going to do? You know, the blood of sacrificial animals was only temporary. In the Old Testament, it was temporary. It was basically a foreshadowing of Christ. In fact, Hebrews 10.4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. What are we going to do? We need a human sacrifice, somebody born under the law to be a human sacrifice. Yet we need a perfect sacrifice. The sacrifice has to be somebody that hasn't sinned, that's flawless. You know as well as I do, there is not a person that's ever lived on this earth or ever will that is free from sin that is not scarred, marred, or flawed. There was only one who was flawless, who was sinless, and who was perfect. As Jesus Christ, let me go back to the virgin birth. Born under the law, right? Born of a woman, that's Mary. That's Mary, born under the law, born of a woman. But then you have the Holy Spirit. Here you have your perfection. See, Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Not from Joseph, not from any other man, from the Holy Spirit. Perfection. So here is Jesus, fully man and fully God. He has come down to us in the flesh. Not only can he sympathize with us, 
Because he can. Not only can he sympathize with us because he experienced and lived in human form, but guess what else? His human blood, his human blood, his humanity and his human blood, it was needed. It was needed because it had to be shed for our sins. That's humanity. But as God, he was perfect. See, Jesus was the only one who could save you. He's the only one who can save me. Save us, Lord, right? We are perishing. Only Jesus. See, I see salvation in this story, in the story of the boat and the storm. I see salvation. I can see Calvary in this story. See, in the boat that is caught in the storm, I can see it. The man sleeping. The man sleeping. Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Our God controlling nature, saving his followers, and he did. This man sleeping, right? Now I take that man asleep in the boat and I see him nailed to a cross. His humanity, he's bleeding, he's badly injured, he's hurt. Open wounds, pain, shock. The beatings have taken their toll. Everything that he's endured. It's taking its toll as he hangs on that cross. And it's you and I, Lord, save us. We are perishing. And just like the sleeping man who controlled nature, saving those who asked him, save us. Saving those who asked him. Now his control is over sin. His control is over death. Save us, Lord, we are perishing. He's saying, I will, and he did. Victory over sin, victory over death, saving his followers. Are you a follower of Christ? Are you committed to following Jesus Christ? If you are, this was done for you. This is all about you. How can you look at Jesus and say his name void of any recognition or love or reverence? You can't, Christians. Look what he's doing for you. The all-powerful Jesus, he is our only way, he's our only truth, he's our only life. Are you recognizing Christ in your life? Are you loving Christ in your life? Are you revering Christ in your life? Are we acknowledging who he is to us in our life? We just put him on the shelf until next Sunday. At the name of Jesus, you know I love that, right? I say it a lot. At the name of Jesus, what happens inside you? What stirs within? What are you thinking about when I say at the name of Jesus? Because one day, even those who use his name as a cuss word are going to fall to their knees. They'll be forced to their knees. You and I will voluntarily fall and praise to our Lord and Savior. What stirs within you know, what is the secret to finding life in Christ? Because I think we all know it. The majority of people here, I believe, know Christ as their personal Savior. So what's the secret? You know, a person simply has to believe the witness, the witness that God gave about his son, and then accept Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, our pre there's a preacher, I, I don't know his name, but there's a preacher who said it like this. This is our witness. There is a preacher who said it like this. You know, salvation is the gift of God. I don't think anybody here would argue that with me. 
that salvation is a gift of God. But you know what? So is air. Air is a gift, but you have to breathe it. Bread is a gift, but you have to eat it. Water is a gift, but you have to drink it. So what do we do to accept this gift of salvation? This faith that Jesus brings into the life of a believer. It's not by a feeling. I've talked to too many people that are moved by the song they're singing and the lights and the underlying tones of the instruments and all my friends around are praising God. Oh, what a great feeling. Oh, I feel saved. Well, what about when you're trying to get your kids who are running late out of the house to school? You still got that feeling? Or you're at a stoplight? Or you're trying to meet a deadline at work and you still have that feeling? Because when the people go away and the music stops, the feeling goes away. Because faith and salvation, brothers and sisters, is not, it's not a feeling. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I can't just sit down and go, I'm going to wait for faith to come to me. Ooh, it's going to be a strong feeling. I can't wait. Uh-uh. It doesn't work like that. Salvation comes when we take God at his word. You take God as his word. This witness who speaks to the power and the name of Jesus. Folks, I could have chosen any gospel for this. Any gospel to speak to the power of Jesus. To speak to the great name of Jesus. Psalm 105, verses 1 through 2 says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. Church family, do you have wondrous works to tell? I know you do. You surely, a lot of you have told me. Do you have wondrous works to tell? What would your song be like if you wrote a song to God right now? What would that song be like? How would it go if you were to write a song to Jesus? Now, you don't have to be a musician. You don't have to be a songwriter. It doesn't have to rhyme. You don't even need an instrument to write a song to sing to God, your words expressing your love and reverence for him. Sing praises to him. He deserves that from you because he deserves everything from you. Let me tell you my song, just from this week. And you may say, well, Pastor Mark, how would you even sing that? How does it go? No, this is my song to my God. You write your song to your God. Mine would be Jesus as man was asleep in the boat. His disciples woke him saying, Lord, we are perishing. Will you save us? He says, yes, I will. And Jesus as God rebuked the storm. And it calmed. And he saved his followers. I continue to sing to him, Jesus the man is now hanging on a cross. Bleeding, bruised, hurt. You and I, we all come to the foot of that cross and we say, Lord, we are perishing. Will you save us? And he looks down at you and says, yes, I will. And with that, he breathed his last. And he conquered all sin and the sting of death. And salvation came to all his followers. 
See, I can see salvation. I can see Calvary while he's sleeping in that boat and then rebuking the winds. Just like I see it as he's hanging on the cross and in the resurrection. We have a lot to say about the all-powerful Jesus. We have a lot to say about our all-powerful Jesus. My challenge for you, every Christian in here, is to write your song. Whether you want to take it from Scripture to sing praises to God, like I've done with this all week long, completely moved by this story, realizing over and over, you came for me. You came down for me. And so I sang these praises. Write your song. Tell of his wondrous works in your life. What's moving you? Because I'm going to tell you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that power behind that name, the power in that name, deserves to hear your song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for this scripture, Father, that reaches all of us and expresses just how important the name of Jesus is in our lives. Whether we hear it from another person or we say it ourselves, what is stirred within? What, what, what convictions take place? What are we moved? What are we thinking about? Are we thinking about Scripture? Are we thinking about a story, Lord, that you have, where you've saved, where you've healed? Are we thinking about something that's happened in our life where we've seen it firsthand, that saving and healing? Father God, all we need to do is praise the name of Jesus. So help each and every one of us, Lord, begin to Turn to the Word of God, your Word. Let us learn about Jesus. Let us be able to write lyrics, songs that we put together where we can sing praises to Jesus, to bring Him honor, to bring Him glory, to show that name reverence because what He's done for us. To step down from heaven, to become human for the sole purpose of dying on that cross. I want to praise the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father God, I just pray for every heart that's beating in here right now, Lord. I pray that conviction takes place. I pray, Lord, when they hear the name of Jesus, that they begin to think about the Scripture, your Word. They begin to think about the wondrous things you've done in their lives, and they return that praise right back to you, Father. That's what I'm praying for right now. I pray, Lord, that we can all just praise the name of Jesus. Some will never do it. Some will never do it. But as Christians, Father, we will. At the name of Jesus, Lord, let us always turn and be able to write songs, sing to you, sing your praises, tell of your wondrous works, tell of your wondrous deeds. Let us just praise your name because you deserve it. You deserve all our praise. I love you, Lord. I love you, and I thank you for this service. I thank you for your word, and I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.